Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. The Peter Schiff Show. If you listen to Friday's podcast, I mentioned that I thought I would probably be doing a lot of podcasts this week. And so I did one yesterday, and now I'm doing one again today because my feeling about the stock market was confirmed today with a 831-point route in the Dow Jones Industrial Average, down 3.15%. This is the Biggest decline that the Dow has had since that 1,000-point-plus drop that we had in February. I think it's maybe the third biggest down day ever, point-wise. Percentage-wise, it's not even close. I mean, maybe it's barely in the top 20, uh, but point-wise, it's up there. Although the Dow Jones actually did a lot better than a lot of the other averages. I mean, the Dow Jones transports, they were down just over 4%. 445 points. The NASDAQ down over 4% as well, 315 points. So weakness across the board in the stock market today. And it's not just the home builders and the autos. I've been talking about those sectors as leading indicators. And yes, many of those stocks made new 52-week lows today as well, but they were not the worst performers on the day. The financials were helping to lead the decline. Again, we have Morgan Stanley at a new 52-week low, down 3.3. Goldman Sachs uh, down 3.6%, new 52-week low. But really, the biggest losers on the day 
were the tech stocks. And these have been uh, the standouts. This is what's been holding up the market, right? The FANG stocks and all of these uh, technology infotech stocks that a lot of people were actually describing irrationally as safe havens. I mean, I couldn't believe it when people were saying that tech stocks were the new safe havens. When you hear stuff like that, you know you're close to the end. And if you look at some of these darlings did today, and I'm looking at the after hours price too, because they're, they're selling, more selling is going on now uh, after the bell. But look at NVIDIA is down over 9%, Amazon down 7.3%, Netflix down 10% on the day. Uh, AMD down 10.5%, 11% now looking at it. Twitter down almost 9%. Uh, Apple, Apple down 5.5%. Intel, 4.5%. Cisco, 4.7%. Facebook down almost 5%. This is basically one day plus, I don't know, a half an hour, an hour of aftermarket trading. But to me... The market doesn't look like there's any fear. It looks like it's complete complacency. You know, I'm watching on the financial news. I mean, nobody really is worried. I mean, I think the Trump White House put out a statement, nothing to worry about. Everybody is talking about how this is just a normal correction in a in a in a normal bull market. Well, first of all, there's nothing normal about this bull market. Right? This bull market is already the longest bull market ever. So based on duration, it ain't normal. Also, based on all the stimulus that was required to create it, all the quantitative easing, the years of 0% interest rates, there is nothing normal about this bull market. If anything, it's a bubble. It's not just a bull market. And of course, if it's not a normal bull market, then why would it have a normal correction? Right? It may would probably have an abnormal correction, although it seems to me that it's far more likely that a bull market of this duration, if the market is going down now, it seems like you would err to think that, oh, maybe this is the bear market because it's long overdue. Why would you just assume that it's a correction when we're so overdue for a bear market? Now, I know, you know, you could have made the same thing back in February. The market had a sharp fall in February and there were people who said, oh, it's just a correction. And I guess they were right because the markets went on to make new highs. But the market only made new highs based on a small segment of stocks. You know, I think right now 25% of the S&P 500 is in a bear market, meaning a 20% or more decline. So even though we had a rally from that big drop in February, it was not really that broad. It was led by a small section of the market. It was not healthy, but beneath the surface, we were seeing a deterioration. And from my vantage point, what we're seeing now is a lot more ominous than what we saw in February. And to me, it looks a lot more like this is the beginning of the bear market that is so overdue. It is not simply a correction. Of course, you know, every time there is a bear market, people think it's a correction. Because remember, when you're in a bull market, and especially one as long as this one, because there's never been one as long as this one, but in long bull markets, People are extremely euphoric. They're extremely optimistic. And of course, 
if you have a very long bull market, there have been a lot of corrections along the way. I mean, one of the things that's unique about this bull market is how few corrections there have been and how shallow those corrections have been. So it gives people a lot of false confidence that every time they see a decline to dismiss it as just another uh, correction. Although bull markets end, so that means that sometimes corrections turn into bear markets. You don't know that a correction is a bear market until you're in the bear market. And then, of course, most people think it's it's too late to sell. Oh, we've already we're already gone down 20% or 25%. No point in selling now. So most of the people never get out of these bear markets and they ride them to the bottom. But the last uh, couple of bear markets that we had, the Fed was able to save the day. I don't think they're going to be able to do it this time. I think the Fed is done. In fact, I think if the Fed actually reverses monetary policy, because right now one of the things that's scaring the markets is interest rates going up, and it, they should be scared. In fact, they should be petrified. You know, we had a bond uh, auction today, a 10-year government bond auction, and didn't go as well as planned. I mean, why anybody shows up at these bond auctions is beyond me. And one day nobody will, except the Federal Reserve. They're always there as the buyer of last resort. But when they become the buyer of only resort, then you know the game is over. But even if the Fed caves right, and, and capitulates and, and says something to try to throw a bone to the markets, remember, I mean, Donald Trump on, you know, to the public is saying nothing to worry about, right? Everything is fine. I'm sure privately in the Oval Office, they are worried. They're probably on the phone. They are probably begging uh, the Fed to do something because the midterm elections are coming up in November. If we are in a bear market in November, when voters go to the polls, if they are voting in a bear market, not only are the Republicans going to lose the House, they are going to lose the Senate as well. So there's going to be a lot of pressure on the Federal Reserve to do something to change this dynamic. Because if they don't do anything, I can't imagine what is going to turn this around. I mean, maybe Donald Trump will try to come up with some deal with China, some, you know, basically nothing deal that doesn't accomplish anything just so he can pretend that you know we have victory just like he's pretending uh with nafta by by renaming it maybe he'll think well we need to come to some kind of conclusion uh with china but i don't think that would be enough to stop the bear market i mean it might be something that they could try at a desperation uh for trump to try to hammer something together but if that doesn't happen between now and then, what is going to stop the market from going down? In fact, even though the market was down over 800 points today, at no point did the bond market turn positive. Bonds were weak all day. Interest rates were higher. And of course, if the stock market wasn't down 800 points, bonds would have gotten hammered even more. But the fact that there wasn't even a flight to the bond market with an 800-point sell-off in the Dow shows you how weak the bond market is and how much pressure there's going to be on interest rates. The same thing with the dollar. The dollar was down today. It wasn't down a lot, but it was down. And in, in the past, in the recent past, a big down day in the stock market would not only cause people to buy into the bond market, but they would buy into the dollar. That's not happening. You had the U.S. dollar, the bond market, and the stock market all going down at the same time. There are no safe havens, nothing in U.S. assets. I mean, gold was 
flat today. Maybe it was up a buck or flat. I mean, barely changed. So nobody was really buying gold, although the gold stocks were positive today. You know, they were all up one, two, three, four percent. I mean, nothing big. But of course, we didn't get a big move in gold. But that move is coming because if you can't hide in bonds and you can't hide in the dollar, where are you going to hide? Now, I know some of you are going to say, oh, in Bitcoin. Well, Bitcoin was down today, too, and it wasn't, you know, it didn't get a bid uh, from all of the flight out of U.S. financial assets. It is a speculative asset, just like all these tech stocks. Nobody is going to be buying Bitcoin as a safe haven. I mean, maybe people thought it was a safe haven during the bubble, but that bubble has popped. And so a lot more air is going to come out. The Really, the only safe haven left standing is going to be gold, and that's the only asset that nobody owns. Nobody is smart enough. I mean, I was watching on Fox Business, and they were talking about why isn't gold going up? Well, because people aren't smart enough to understand what's going on. They're not worried. I mean, if they were actually worried because they understood the gravity of the situation, they would be buying gold. But because they're so complacent, because they think this is just a correction, because they think the U.S. has some great economy, and they keep talking about, oh, you know, interest rates are going up for the right reasons, and so there's nothing to worry about. The economy is so strong. The economy is not strong. It was never strong. It was just a bigger bubble. Again, look at the auto sector. Look at the housing sector. Look at the financials. They are flashing recession already. And the recession is obviously coming. I mean, come on. I mean, we're long overdue for that as well. And now the rest of the market is rolling over. We've lost the financials. I mean, we've lost the technology names, the FANG names. They are now going down. There is nothing beneath this market. This is a huge bubble. The air is coming out. Interest rates are going to keep going up. And if the Fed tries to save the market by altering its policy, right? I don't know how how far they're going to go. Are they just going to say, we're going to take the, the December rate hike off the table? Are they going to go so far as to take back the last rate hike and cut rates? Or are they going to say that we're going to slow down our quantitative tightening program? If they adjust their policy at all, people might think, aha, that's going to help the market. I don't think so. I mean, it could end up being like waving a flag at at a bull, or in this case, a bear. And um, they're just going to keep selling. To me, if the Fed comes out now and has to reverse policy, it's basically an admission of defeat, admitting that they were wrong, right? They were wrong to have raised rates, and now they're saying that we have to cut them. And I think the markets will dare the Fed. Whatever the Fed does to try to stop the market from falling, the markets will push more. They'll try to get the market to go down more to see what else the Fed will do, right? To see how much pressure they can put on the Fed. See, when the Fed first launched quantitative easing, the markets had already been obliterated. Stocks had gone way down. And so in a bear market, at the bottom of a bear market, you come in and launch quantitative easing, That was able to get the market to go up. But this is the end of a bull market. This is still near the peak of the bubble. If the Fed were to capitulate this high, right? if the Fed were to come to try to rescue the market by cutting rates, it's not going to stop the stock market from falling. Because the big problem would be if the Fed comes out now and and changes the dynamic, changes the story, the dollar is going to get crushed. It's going to sell off hard. The price of gold is going to take off because nobody is positioned for that.
And so when the Fed has to surprise the markets and you get a big sell-off in the dollar and a big rise in the price of gold, that is going to be bearish for U.S. assets, in particular for the U.S. bond market. The long end of the bond market is going to get hit. But if the dollar is going down, that's going to reduce the appeal of U.S. stocks, not only for international investors, but for domestic investors. And when you have this massive valuation gap between the United States and the rest of the world, and all of a sudden the dollar starts falling, that's going to make foreign stocks that much more appealing. People are going to want to ride that wave, and they're going to want to get off the U.S. market uh, to take advantage of that. And an important point that really nobody even bothers to consider we are running these record you know, current account deficits. We have these huge trade deficits. We are spitting all these dollars out into global circulation. And if U.S. financial assets are appealing to global investors, well, they can recirculate their surpluses into U.S. financial assets. They can buy U.S. bonds. They can buy U.S. stocks. But if U.S. stocks and bonds are falling and the dollar is losing value, what incentive do our trading partners have to hold on to their dollars. I mean, they're selling us all this merchandise. We don't have any merchandise to sell them, so we give them the IOU. If they're not going to take the IOU and invest it in our stock or bond market, what are they going to do? Well, they're just going to be selling the dollars on the Forex market. Who is going to buy them? Right? So if all the financial assets in the U.S. are unappealing because now the dollar is going to start this huge decline and U.S. stocks and bonds are already historically overvalued, the markets are going to continue to fall. And if the Fed basically tries to uh, save the markets and it doesn't work, right? It's like, you know, when somebody fires a, a gun, they see Superman and maybe, I don't know, every time someone sees Superman, they want to fire a gun at him. I mean, don't they realize that bullets don't, don't, don't hurt him? But maybe you've never seen Superman before and you see him stand there and you say, oh, I'm going to shoot, I'm going to shoot him and I fire a gun and you see the bullet bounces off his chest, you know you're screwed. I mean, now what are you going to do? Right. It's the same thing for the Fed. If the Fed tries to save the market and it doesn't work, well, I mean, that's it. Right. It's, in, it's as ineffective as a bullet bouncing off the chest of Superman. And then the market's just going to crater even more, forcing the Fed to have to get even more aggressive in whatever it's doing to try to revive the markets. But of course, the politics of all this are awful because if we are again in this bear market or if the Fed, of course, tries to prevent the bear market before the midterms and actually makes it worse, uh, that's it for the, the, the those elections. But of course, what is the odds that the beginning of this bear market is not going to usher in a recession? I would say zero, right? And this recession, as I've been saying since the beginning, is going to be the worst recession that we've ever had. It is going to be much worse than the Great Recession of 2008-2009 because in that recession, the Fed was able to temporarily ease the pain and because the dollar was rising and that was helping to keep down the cost of living. It was keeping down long-term interest rates. None of that is going to happen this time. Right. So if you're looking at what's happening in the financials, in the housing market with interest rates, and you're thinking, hey, I've seen this movie before in 2008, it's not actually the same movie. It's got the same beginning, but it's not going to have the same ending. It's going to have a much worse ending for the perspective of 
the country, the economy, I mean, it's going to have a much better ending for the investment portfolio that I have now. Because remember, the 2008 uh, portfolio that I had that was a bunch of gold stocks and foreign stocks that had gone way up leading up to 2008 came crashing down with the rest of the market, with the U.S. market. But now my portfolio, we bottomed out in December of uh, 2015, January of 2016. So we haven't been going down for the last five years, but over the five-year period, we haven't gained anything because first we went down and then we came back up. As the U.S. market has been soaring, that's the opposite of what was happening between 2001 and 2008 when the U.S. market was recovering a little bit and the foreign markets and the gold stocks were just on fire, right? So the money has been flowing into all these stocks. And so now when the bubble bursts, for my portfolios, I think it's going to be phenomenal because gold's going to go up, the dollar's going to go down, and we're going to finally have the crisis that I was warning about in my very first book, Crash Proof, How to Profit from the Coming Economic Collapse. We're finally going to get the economic collapse. We're finally going to get the real crash. That was the subject of my later book. So it's going to be better for my investment strategy, but it is going to be far worse for the country, which is going to have to endure an economic climate that is far more severe because as the dollar is tanking along with the markets, the cost of living goes up. Food prices go up. Gas prices go up. Everything goes up. As people are losing their jobs, their unemployment checks aren't going to buy very much. And the people who don't lose their jobs are still going to be pinched because whatever paychecks they, they have, they're not going to go as far in an inflationary recession, in a stagflation economy. And given where we are politically, as I've said, we have laid the foundation for the socialists to come to power in 2020. And if the Supreme Court doesn't save us, I mean, God knows what they're going to be doing. And of course, a lot of these unconstitutional laws, even if they ultimately get struck down, they don't get struck down right away. I mean, first Congress passes it, and then somebody actually has to challenge the constitutionality. Somebody who is affected by it has to challenge it, and then they have to take it into a district court, and then it has to make it to a, the appeals court and get up to the Supreme Court, and that can take years. So by the time some of the unconstitutional socialist programs that are going to be passed in 2001 actually get struck down, if they, if they do get struck down, they will have done significant damage between the time that the president signs them in the law and the time the Supreme Court declares them unconstitutional. But the fact that there's just so much complacency out there really, to me, is one of the best indicators that we are just getting started, right? Everybody is saying, don't worry, don't panic, don't sell. Everything is great. Everything is not great. Everything is as far from great as you can possibly believe. You know, it's so frustrating. I wish I was actually on some of these shows like I was in 2007, 2006. I mean, there'd be some great material for some future video because so many people are saying so many foolish things and there's nobody out there uh, to basically tell the truth and get laughed at. But believe me, if I was on these shows with the same people that I was on in 2007, 2008, they would be laughing just as hard. They would be saying, oh, there's no way this is true. This is ridiculous. Everything is great. Right. They, they have very short memories or they would come back and say, oh, you've been saying this for years, which is true. And, but but they still don't recognize what what is actually happening. They don't understand the problem. They didn't understand the problem back then, and they still don't understand it. But looking at all these stocks in the after hours, uh, the selling continued. 
uh, into the close. It wasn't a panic. It was very orderly. You know, I think there was plenty of hope that the market was going to recover. And, you know, that's what happens in bear markets. They they slide a, a slope of hope. You know, the only stock that I'm looking at that's actually positive in the aftermarket is Bayer, which is up about 10%. Remember, I talked about that uh, on one of my earlier podcasts. We own positions in that stock in my, uh, in my managed accounts, in my mutual funds. And the reason I talked about it is because they took over Monsanto and there was a a jury verdict where this guy, a gardener, uh, claimed he got he developed uh, you know non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. He's going to die, unfortunately. It's a sad story, but he blamed it all on using Roundup, and with basically no evidence whatsoever, uh, he was able to win this huge jury award, including you know hundreds of millions of punitive damages. And so what was announced today is that the judge has now said that she's inclined to throw the whole verdict out and maybe have a new trial because the jury verdict is completely inconsistent with the evidence or rather lack thereof because the uh, the plaintiffs provided no evidence whatsoever, no scientific evidence that actually linked this chemical in Roundup to cancer. There is no proof that it actually causes this. So simply, uh, the lawyer appealed to the sympathy uh, that the jury felt for this uh, terminal individual and wanted to, you know, have this, you know, huge company, uh, evil, you know, capitalist company, write a big check to somebody they felt sorry for. Well, I mean, that is not supposed to happen. And of course, when I looked at the verdict that we, we, we looked over the case, I was pretty confident that something like this was happening. That's what I said. I said, there's no way that this verdict is going to stick. And the price of the stock had dropped. The market cap had lost, I don't know, 15, 20 billion. I mean, many, many times over the amount of the award because the speculation was that, well, an avalanche of lawsuits are now going to be filed. And that's exactly what's happened. In fact, every day I hear commercials from ambulance chasing law firms trying to get anybody who's ever come into contact with Roundup who may have cancer to call them up so they can join in on the suit uh, because, you know, of the size of that verdict. Well, now that the judge is causing that uh, verdict into question, of course, the stock is up about 10% in the aftermarket, and which is good. Again, we own that stock. And that's about the only stock that I, that I really see going up aftermarket. So we are not looking good going into Thursday. And we get the CPI. We got the PPI today that pretty much came out, I think, in line of two-tenths of a percent. But I think the market is going to be far more likely to be moved by the CPI, especially if it's a hot number. If the CPI comes out uh, higher than expected, that could really hit the bond market, which, of course, is really going to hit the stock market what I'd like to see is the dollar go down and gold go up. That would be an indicator that the party isn't just coming to an end, but that it's officially over. Because now people will finally be figuring out that higher inflation is bad for the dollar. That higher inflation is good for gold. And I keep hearing you know, all these pundits talking about higher inflation as if, oh, this is a good thing, right? The Fed got what they wanted. You know, the Fed didn't actually want more inflation. That is basically their excuse to continue to, you know, to keep the monetary spigots open. Oh, we don't have enough inflation. We have to keep printing money. What they really wanted to do is prop up asset prices. 
prop up bond prices. They wanted to prop up the government, enable the government to keep running deficits. They didn't want a higher cost of living for consumers. I mean, think about the nonsense. I would always put sarcastic comments on my Facebook page and stuff. About, oh, great news. Prices are up. Right. The idea that an increase in the cost of living is what the Federal Reserve wants is nonsense. How anybody can be so stupid, and in fact, so many of these analysts are so stupid, to actually think that what the Fed was trying to engineer was a ratcheting up of the cost of living. Obviously, it is not beneficial when things cost more, right? If the things that you need, right, if the things that uh, are necessities of life, if your rent goes up, if your grocery bill goes up, if your gas bill goes up, if your medical bills go up, if your insurance rates go up, Stuff getting more expensive is not good. That is so obvious. What is good for the economy is when the cost of living goes down. That's what gooses real consumer spending. If your medical bills are lower, if your kid's tuition is lower, if it costs less money to heat your house, less money to fill your car up with, with gas, if clothing is less expensive, the, the less things cost, the more you can buy. That is so obvious. It's amazing that these idiot uh, professionals... Uh, don't get it. What the Fed's goal really was, was to keep the asset prices going up. That's why they wanted inflation. They didn't want the cost of living to go up. But now that the cost of living is going up even faster than it was before, the Fed is not going to be happy about that. In fact, if anything, the Fed is petrified about inflation being higher because it puts pressure on them to actually be more aggressive with their rate hikes, to actually follow through with quantitative tightening to actually stop the inflation from accelerating. But they can't do that because then they expose the problem even more because then the stock market completely collapses and then the banks collapse and the housing market collapses. And it, it's, it's 2008 all over again, only worse because we have far more debt now than we had in 2008, right? The Fed caused the financial crisis because it kept interest rates too low and it distorted the economy and created a bubble. Well, when the bubble popped, instead of allowing the market to fix everything, they blew up a bigger bubble. They created even more debt. They did even more damage. We kept interest rates much lower for much longer. We threw in all this quantitative easing. So the economy is so screwed up that the severity of the recession necessary to right this ship, right, to, to, to get the economy back on a, on a sound foundation, that recession is going to be so deep that the Fed is going to resist it with every fiber in its being. But of course, in resisting that, it unleashes something worse because they destroy the dollar. And speaking about destroying the dollar, you know, Donald Trump was interviewed yesterday about the Fed's rate hikes. And he specifically said that he wasn't happy about the fact that rates were going up, that, you know, he didn't speak to the Fed. He didn't he didn't talk to Powell and he's, you know, respecting their independence, but he's not happy about the pace at which rates are rising. And again, he's been saying that and clearly he's going to try to blame the Federal Reserve for, you know, a bear market that might arise before the midterms. I mean, he also may try to blame the Democrats for rising in the polls and try to say, well, the reason the market is selling off is investors are afraid that the Democrats are going to take the House or the Senate. And so that's why the market is going down. But clearly, he's also going to try to blame the Federal Reserve. But one of the most interesting things that he said 
in, you know, when he was talking to reporters, is he said, you know, I don't like the fact that they're raising rates so fast because I would have liked to have paid down debt first. And, you know, I was listening to these reporters commenting on it, and they're like, well, what did he mean by that, paying down debt first? They didn't get it. I mean, it's obvious what he meant, but it's almost hilarious that he said it because what he meant by saying, I'd like to pay down debt first, is something that he alluded to as a candidate. The United States government has a $21.5 trillion national debt, and interest rates are going up. Obviously, when interest rates are going up, it makes it more expensive to service that debt. So the smart thing to do before rates go up is to pay down the debt, right? So when Donald Trump said, I'd like to you know, pay off debt before the rates go up, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about reducing the national debt. So he would have preferred the opportunity to reduce the debt before uh, the Fed hikes rates. Well, how is he going to reduce the debt? The only way the government can reduce the debt is by running a surplus. The government has to tax more than it spends, and then it uses the surplus tax revenue to retire debt. And then the debt goes down, and so the government is not as vulnerable to an increase in interest rates. But not only did Donald Trump not reduce the debt in anticipation of increasing interest rates, he blew it even bigger. He cut taxes and increased government spending. Knowing that the Federal Reserve was going to be raising rates, he deliberately led the charge deeper into debt. And now he's saying, gee, I wish I would have had time to shrink the debt before the rate hikes. You knew the rate hikes were coming, and you did the opposite of that. You increased the debt. But it's basically an admission on the part of the president that he is contributing to the problem. He is doing the opposite of what he said he wished he could have done. I wish I could have shrunk the debt, but instead you exploded the debt. And now, because interest rates are going up, it's going to cost us a lot more. And, you know, another thing that Donald Trump did that's going to contribute to the problem is he, since he's become president, he has been shortening the maturity of the national debt. As a candidate, and I pointed this out, this is another inconsistency between Trump the candidate and Trump the president. But when Trump was running for office, he said, we need to refinance the debt to lock in these long-term rates. He said Barack Obama was a fool because he was, you know, he kept all the the debt short-term and he wasn't locking in these low rates uh, over 30 years. And that when he was president, he was going to uh, refinance. And I remember Steve Moore at um, one of the conferences, I think it was even the New Orleans conference last year or two years ago, and believe me, I am so looking forward to this New Orleans conference in, on November 1st. I mean, this is really going to be my first uh, talk, uh, you know, since this decline, which I think is going to be much bigger uh, by the end of October into November. So if you haven't already signed up to go to the New Orleans conference, go to their website, neworleansconference.com, and sign up. Make sure and use the promo code SHIFF, S-C-H-I-F-F, and you will get a discount on the cost. Several people have already signed up based on my last uh, my last uh, time I mentioned it, but you got to go. This is going to be a fantastic conference. It's going to be a great time to go. Probably going to be just the beginning of this huge, you know, next leg of the bull market in the price of gold. So it's going to be a a great time to be in New Orleans uh, for the conference. So 
If you've never been, you got to go. If you've been before, then you know you got to go again. So at NewOrleansConference.com. But Steve Moore gave a talk, but it, you know, maybe it was at Freedom Fest. I forget exactly where it was. But it was before Trump was president, so it had to be a couple years ago. And he said, oh, when Donald Trump becomes president, he's going to lengthen the maturity of the national debt. And I told Steve after his speech, no way, impossible, he's never going to do it. And, and, and Steve Moore was arguing, no, he says he's going to do it. And I said, Steve, I don't care what he says, it's impossible, because if he tries to do that, it'll push long-term interest rates up, and that's, you know, that's going to be a problem. And I was exactly right. But not only didn't he lengthen the maturity of the debt, he actually shortened it. He did the reverse. He did exactly what he criticized Obama for, only he did more of it. So now, because we have even shorter term on our debt, we're even more exposed to the increasing interest rates because we didn't lock in those low rates for 30 years. We didn't lock them in at all. We're just in T-bills and we're rolling them over. Right? And as the T-bills mature, we have to roll them over at a higher rate of interest. So Trump obviously knows the problem. In fact, you know, as a businessman, he understands leverage and what happens when you're too levered up and interest rates go up. Well, the U.S. economy is levered to an extreme level that Trump, you know, I mean, Trump is a piker when it comes to debt relative to the United States. I mean, we have taken it to a whole new level. And so therefore, we are so much more exposed, I think, than any nation has ever been to an increase in interest rates. And people are so, oh, we don't have to worry because we borrow in our own currency. That doesn't mean we have a get out of jail free card just because we issue debt in our own currency. Because if nobody wants our own currency, then it doesn't matter. Once people start to realize how much value the dollar is going to lose, People aren't going to show up at these treasury bond auctions. It's just going to be the Federal Reserve. And then, you know, the dollar is going to fall through the floor. It's going to lose its status as the reserve currency. And that's going to be why this next recession is going to be so much worse than the last one, because this is it. This is when all the chickens finally come home to roost. It didn't happen in 2008 because we were able to kick that can down the road. But you know what? We've caught up to the can, and we are out of road, and now we're going to have to deal with it. The way Trump is dealing with it is he is stepping up his anti-Fed rhetoric. He's basically accusing the Fed of having gone crazy. So he's now not only taken on the Chinese, but he's taken on the Federal Reserve at the same time, blaming the Federal Reserve for the stock market sell-off because they have gone crazy in that they have raised rates too much. And of course, Donald Trump is saying that the stock market is still strong despite the sell-off. He thinks it's just a correction. So if it's just a correction, is the Fed really crazy? Obviously, the, Trump is trying to set up to blame the Fed for whatever negative things happens to the stock markets. He's going to say that all of his hard work, his trade deals and his tax cuts and his deregulation are the reason that the economy was so strong and the market was going up, but the crazy Federal Reserve jacked up interest rates too much and ruined uh, the good thing. But the other problem that uh, Trump has created in laying down this gauntlet is he puts the Federal Reserve between a rock and a hard place, meaning they're damned that they do and they're damned that they don't, which probably was the case anyway, but this simply uh, ups the ante on that because if the Fed does do something to change its outlook, 
especially after Trump has called them crazy and has criticized them and has said that raising interest rates was a mistake, if they now admit to that mistake, if they now look like they are being influenced by Donald Trump or have been influenced by him, then they call into question the independence of the Federal Reserve. Now, of course, why anybody believes it's independent is beyond me. It's clearly political, but everybody pretends it's not. But they're going to stop pretending if Donald Trump basically, you know, forces the Federal Reserve to change its policy, and that will further undermine the dollar, further undermine the bond market, make interest rates on the long end go up even more, and again, cause the stock market to fall even further because of the loss of confidence in the U.S. financial system and in the independence of the Federal Reserve. But I agree with Trump about one thing. The Fed is crazy. But I disagree that they've just gone crazy. They've been crazy the entire time. I mean, what they're doing now is the least crazy thing they've done. What was really crazy was lowering interest rates down to zero in the first place. What was crazier was leaving them at zero for as long as they did. What was super crazy was doing quantitative easing not just once, but three times. What was crazy was doing Operation Twist. The Fed has been crazy for a long time. But the problem was, when you've been crazy for so long, you can't be sane. Trying to normalize interest rates, and I keep hearing this all the time on the financial uh, television programs, that all they're doing is normalizing interest rates. So why are the markets so worried? They're just trying to get interest rates back to normal. That's the problem. They can't be normal because nothing about this economy is normal. Nothing about this market is normal. It's all abnormal. It all completely depends on the, the drug of cheap money. You cannot take that away. I've been saying this for years. Remember my old analogy about trying to uh, remove uh, the quantitative easing. I, I was always saying jokingly that it wasn't like a magician who was trying to pull a tablecloth out from under the dishes. I said that was a, a difficult trick, but it wasn't impossible. You could do it. I said the trick that the Fed had to pull off was impossible. The Fed had to pull the table out from under the cloth and hope that the cloth and the dishes just levitated in midair. What the Fed had to do was impossible. And now the markets are finding it out. We cannot return to normal, not based on where we've been, not based on the bubble economy that we have created on the back of these abnormally low interest rates. Trying to normalize interest rates, given how screwed up the economy is right now because of how low rates were and how long they were, they've stayed there, is impossible. So what we are now going to have to deal with is not only the consequences of what preceded the 2008 financial crisis, what preceded the bursting of the dot-com bubble, but we have to deal with all the problems that the Federal Reserve created subsequent to the bursting of the housing bubble and the financial crisis. All of the problems that they created to paper over the problems that already existed. And as I've been saying all along, the problems are now so enormous. The bubble is now so big that there is absolutely no way out of this. There is no more trick. 
There is no rabbit to pull out of a hat. The Fed has nothing up its sleeve. We are going to have to deal with this finally, once and for all. And I, you know, I'm hoping that at the end of this very, very dark tunnel that we are about to enter into, there is some bright light instead of just an oncoming train. Thank you.